Bibles, if you would, and turn to Matthew chapter 13. Cut me down just a little bit, guys. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Later the same day, Jesus left the house and went down to the shore where an immense crowd soon gathered. He got into a boat, man after my own heart, where he sat and taught his people, taught the people, listened to him on the shore. He told many stories such as this one. A farmer went out to plant some seed. And as he scattered it across this field, some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Others fell on shallow soil with underlying, with underlying rock. The plants sprang up quickly, but they soon withered beneath the hot sun and died because the roots had no nourishments in the shallow soil. Other seeds fell among the thorns that shot up and choked out the tender blades. But some seeds fell on fertile soil and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as what was planted. Anyone who was willing to hear, Jesus said, should listen and understand. The reason why he made this emphasis, if you'll look in verse 15, Jesus said, for the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they've closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. And their ears cannot understand, hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. You know, today I want to talk to you about where is your heart. You just heard the story that I read to you of Jesus in a heart story that we'll look at. But then you've heard the testimony just a few minutes ago of a heart of a person that's a believer, that knows Jesus. But yet he went through some stuff to where God had to show him and teach him that God was very much connected to his life. You see... Jesus put it this way in another verse in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Listen to this verse. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart and your thoughts be also. Treasure in the Greek translated into an English definition says this. A treasure is something very precious. It's It's what a man thinks is most important. Yesterday, I was kind of going over this message, and I said, Cindy, I won't give the answer. But I said, Cindy, I don't use her as an example much, but I will today. What right now in your life is the most important thing that's on your mind and in your heart? And I'm asking you that question today. What is it that you wake up every day, and if you're not careful, you'll go with it right on your mind to sleep or when you go to bed. 
What would you classify the most important thing that is in your life right now? You see, I think it's important that we know exactly what's important to us because the Bible says, whatever it is, it's your most precious gift, it's your most precious uh, possession, and your heart is right there with it. One scholar said, a man's heart has only enough life in it to pursue only one object fully. Where we treasure up our treasure reveals the desire of our hearts. You want to know where your heart's at? Tell me. Tell me what your treasure is. That's what Jesus said. You see, if our focus is on the world, if our focus and treasure is on the things of this world, then our heart is going to be lacking spiritually. But if our heart and our true desire is to do what God wants us to do no matter what, no matter what it may cost, no matter what it may require of us, I'm going to do that. When my wife and I many, many years ago in 1977 got married, boy, that dates us, and then 78, we gave our lives totally. We just said, you know what, Lord? We're going to do what you want us to do. It, it doesn't matter. I, we left with $1,000 in the bank. Some would go, well, I wish I had $1,000 in the bank. Well, I left with $1,000 in the bank moving 350 miles away to a place that I had no clue where I was going to live. And I didn't have a job. All I knew was God called me. In the ministry, and this old boy needed some help. Uh, and, and so we gave our lives to him. You see, not every, it, while everybody has a heart, do you know that everybody has a heart in this place? And some of you ladies will say, whoop, you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You have a heart. But not everybody's heart is the same. And I'm going to narrow it down to two things. You either have an unchristian heart today or you have a Christian heart today. You've either heeded to what Jesus was teaching in his story or you have not. You see, Jeremiah speaks of it in chapter 17, verse 9, that the human heart is most deceitful and desperately wicked. You want to know what a human heart's like? You want to know what a flesh heart's like? It's desperately wicked. Mike. Well, that's what Jeremiah says, chapter 17. Do you believe that? Absolutely. Yes, I believe it. But Jesus turns a hard issue to portray it, picture it in planting seeds in the soil. And he uses and mentions four different kinds of soil, which represent four different kinds of hearts in this building. 
He starts, first of all, in verse 4 with a hardened heart. He, Jesus said, look, there was a farmer who sowed some seeds, and he, the King James Version says, he, they fell by the wayside. The New Living Translation says, they fell as they were sowed on a footpath. In the Middle East, there were paths along the road that people would walk on, and they would drive the, the dirt so hard and so packed, it was just like concrete. Jesus' illustration is that our job as God's people is sow seeds. But as you heard, John shared a, a, a story or a, a truth. When he shared the gospel with someone, a truck driver, what happened to him? He got mad. Took off. Why did he get mad? Because he didn't want to hear it. He had a hardened heart. You know what? Knowing this pattern that Jesus taught here helps me when I share Jesus with people. Now, especially my family. I want all my family to be saved. Did anybody here not want your family to be saved? I want all my family to come to Jesus. But there's one thing I realize. All of my family is not at the same place. And if I go in and I take the bulldozer approach to a hard heart, you know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get a punch back. And it doesn't have to be physical. It can be verbal. So what I want you to see here is that in verse 19, Jesus said, The seed that fell on the hard path represents those who hear the good news about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches the seed away from their heart. This is a heart that has rejected God. This is an individual who is unrepentant. This is an individual who's never received the gospel seed in their heart. They're hard. Now, look, I I don't want to stay on this long, but I do want to tell you this. You have an obligation as a believer. When you're scattering seed, when you're sharing the gospel with someone, and you run up on somebody that's hard-hearted, would you just acknowledge that's all it is? Would you just acknowledge that, look, you're not God. You're not the Holy Spirit. You can share truth to someone that receives it, but if they reject it, they've shut you where? Down. It's not my job to make you receive Jesus. It's my job to to present Jesus to you. But if you reject it, that's your choice. That's everybody else. You say, well, now, wait a minute, Mike. What about a believer? Does the Bible actually teach us that a believer can, can, can be hard-hearted? Well, you just heard one on the stage who went for a while hard-hearted. Where does the Bible teach that? Well, listen to Proverbs 14, 14. The backslider... In heart 
shall be filled with his own ways. You say, well, who is a backslider? A backslider is not an unsaved person. A backslider is a believer. A backslider is one who is following his own ways. The Hebrew word for backslider is meshuba. And that means to slide back. You can't slide back if you've slidden up. Got to come back from something. You see, a backslider is in reference to a Christian. To one who is turned and filled with his own ways. You know what is the desire of the heart of a backslider is? My job, my money, my kids, my home, my wife, my life. Oh, really? Well, I'll tell you what. I've learned the hard way that there's none of that mine. Ain't mine. And when I get to looking at it as mine, I'm backsliding. I am backslidden if I think any of that belongs to me. You see, some of you, some, someone has defined backsliding this way. If there's ever been a time when you love Jesus more fervently than you love him now, you're backslidden. If there's ever been a time when your prayer life was more significant and, and more intense than it is now, no, you're backslidden. If there was ever a time when the Bible reading was more real and more expressive and fresher and better in your life than it is today, and it's not, you're backslidden. If there's ever been a time when soul winning and telling others about Jesus and sharing the witness with the lost and dying world was more urgent than it is now at this very moment, you're backslidden. What does that mean, Mike? It means you've slid back. In what? In your own ways. You see, you and I coming to Jesus, we come to him and put down our own way and pick up his way. And it's only when we want to live our way, our own way, as a believer anyway, do we face that kind of condition in our, in our life? Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us have strayed away like sheep when we've left God's path to follow our own way. I really believe this, that a lot of people are miserable in their life as believers. Because they haven't sought God's way. They've only sought their way. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't open certain doors in your life? And, and it may not mean that you're not qualified, or it may not mean that, that, that that's what you want, but is that what God wants? Do you know the average person today? They hate their job. They hate their lives. Can I tell you why? Because you're doing it your way. 
I can't help it if Elvis did make it sound good. Your way is the wrong way every time. So understand Jesus has, he wants us to know, where is your heart, my friend? Is it in the world or is it following him, connected to him? Some of you say, well, preacher Mike, I was moved by a preacher one service, and I walked the aisles, and, man, I was crying, and, and I came down, and, and I thought I got saved. But, but, gosh, after a month or two, I went back living like a heathen. It could be that you didn't ditch the heathen. You know, Luke, th- Luke 13, 3 does say, you must Repent. You've got to turn from the way you were living. When I accepted Jesus, I took a, an about face. Now, does that mean you did it all right? No. I did a lot wrong as a, as a believer. And I, then I, there's areas I've, I started backsliding. And, and what, how do you get that right? Well, what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of that sin and all unrighteousness, and and he'll forgive us. But you've got to be willing in your heart. Where is your heart? You've got to be willing to say, hey, I don't want this in my life. I hate this. Everyone in this house today have a sin. I don't care who you are. And if you tell me that you don't have it, you're lying. And now your sin's lying. But every one of you may have drugged something from the past as eating your lunch as a believer in the present. Every one of us deal with certain things in our life. They're called weaknesses. And the Bible says that you and I Before Jesus, he wants to take that weakness and make it their strength. He doesn't want you to stay in that weakness. You don't have to stay in that weakness. He wants you to make it a strength. But if if that weakness is a sin, before it'll ever become a strength in you, you got to hate it more than you hate the devil himself. And let me just tell you right up front, most of you are having trouble with sin and repeating it because you don't hate it. You like it. And when you get honest with where your heart is, you'll deal with it. You know, I'm a firm believer that many of us are possibly where we've been doing this campaign, we've been looking at our church membership, and golly, we've got hundreds of people that are on our roads that don't go to church nowhere. And I thought to myself, you know what, if I wasn't pastoring, well, I, there was a part in time in my life I didn't pastor a church. And you know what I did on Sunday? I went to church. Why? Have you not studied your Bibles enough to know that Jesus Just go to Ephesians chapter 5 and see what he says about the church. The church is important. 
The church is his. He expects us to be committed and faithful in his church, not just his kingdom, but in the local church of which we live and be a testimony and be a farmer willing to scatter seed. Well, I don't care how many churches you join. It doesn't matter to me how many times that we even show up at church. If Jesus is not right here, and and it'll be right here, it won't be just a head knowledge, it's a heart knowledge. If your heart's not in and all you've done is profess with your head, you're lost as a goose, my friend. Because Jesus wants to know where your heart is. I'm not going to have time to preach all of them, but I am going to mention the fertile soil. I love to talk to people who are in fertile soil, lost people. You mean to tell me that Jesus gets people to fertile soil as lost people? Absolutely. Because in fertile soil, you're ready. How many times have you ever shared Jesus with somebody and just seemed like you run into a block wall? Or someone was more concerned about the races and they were more concerned about their life and they were more concerned about their jobs and their hunting and, and all their hobbies. And I've got all of those, but they don't take number one in my life. Jesus is number one in my life. But when you get to fertile soil, not only can you hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, you're lost, but you're ready to receive. I've never led anybody to the Lord, John, that was a hard soil, rocky soil, or thorny soil person. I've never led anybody in those areas to Jesus. And by the way, Every scholar, theological scholar, including, I believe, Jesus himself, those first three, they're lost as a goose. It's not until we end up in fertile soil can we claim eternal salvation. So what do we got on our hands? Well, I'll tell you what you have on your hands. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I'll give you a new heart with a new and right desires. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take... I'll take out of you your old stony, old Adamic nature of sin and give you a new obedient heart. You say, well, what are you talking about? I'm saying that the Bible is a closed book to anyone whose heart is not right with God. I'm saying that the Bible is the only book ever written that will require you and me to read it and understand it with a right heart, a right spirit. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying like Paul to Timothy, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof is not having a right heart. That's what I'm saying. Church member was going door to door, trying to talk to people about the Lord. And one lady came to the door and said, ma'am, would you like to dedicate your life to God? She said, goodness, no. I'm miserable enough with the religion I got. I surely don't want no more. And you know what? When it comes to being real and it comes to being religious, there's a difference. eh? Amen? What is the difference? I close with the difference. 
Religious man talks about the church. A saved man talks about Jesus. A religious man keeps his eyes on the budget. A saved man keeps his eyes on the baptisms. A religious man endures worship. A saved man enjoys worship. A religious man can't wait for the service to end. A saved man can't wait for the service to begin. A religious man can't wait for the invitation to end. A saved man is sorry when it does. A religious man thinks the Bible's boring. A saved man is bored without the Bible. A religious man pays his money to the church to soothe his conscience. A saved man gives his money to God to honor the Lord because he knows that he's to be happy and cheerful because God is a providing God. What is the difference between a religious man and a saved man? Right here. Where is your heart? Jesus said, show me where your treasure is. Show me where you value, what you value the most. What's the most important to you that walks on this earth? And I'll show you where the man's heart is. You know what? I don't want anybody in here to ever think that signing a card or just saying flippantly, yeah, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. Let me tell you something. Jesus not only wants to be your Savior, He wants to be your Lord. He wants to command your life. And your life will never be right. Until you let him do it. And until you get saved, you don't want him to do it. You're not going to care. Well, Mike, can I sin as a believer? Yes, you can. But that shouldn't be your motivation in life. Is to run around and see how many sins as a believer you can get by with. Because 1 John 5, 16 and 17 talks about a sin unto death. And that ain't to non-believers. That's to believers. Be careful toying with sin. But we all deal with it. And the motivation in our heart ought to be, we ought to hate it. If, we, if you're close to Jesus and, and you've got a relationship with him, you hate it with, you hate every time you do it. Every day that you walk, and I'm done, and you sin in that day, that's the day. Don't let sin pile up. Before long, your heart will be cold. Don't let it pile up. Keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning strong in your life. And your discernment will stay high. With every head bowed and every